I think and talk about sex and drugs all the time. So how can I use those for healing tools for myself and for other people? Hello, everyone. I'm SX Noir, and this is the Thought Leader Podcast. With industry thought leaders, this podcast aims to demystify and destigmatize topics in sex, culture, and technology. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to like and subscribe. The opinions expressed by the guests of Thought Leader Podcast are their own. Listener discretion is advised. All right. Uh, hello, everyone. Today, I have a brilliant guest with me, Shelby, and we're going to get into everything drug therapy and sex tech. Yes. Yeah. How are you today? I'm so good. So happy to be here. Good. Amazing. We're here in New York City, and we're ready to, to get into it. I'm so excited for this interview. I've been searching high and far for someone who navigates drug therapy. I think drug therapy is so important when we talk about transforming our sexual selves, whether through trauma, whether through pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so happy to have you here today. Tell us a little bit more about who you are and what brings you here. Yeah, I, quick and dirty version, I grew up um, Mormon in Utah. And so I, and I'm like a queer poly person so my journey from mormon in utah to where i am today has been a lot of like self-discovery and uh dealing with discrimination as far as my sexuality and navigating that um i've been married and divorced and during that time really leaning into my bi pansexuality and open relationships and so much therapy um but growing up mormon i also was dealing with a lot of stigma, shame, judgment around not only my body, but um, sexuality and relationships and really trying to parse that out. So I ended up, I turned 30, I got divorced, I quit my job and I went to grad school to be a sex and relationship therapist. And um, part of my journey included, well, I went to grad, uh, my undergrad was in modern dance. I came to New York because I was hired by a dance company. So I went uh went to school for that and came i danced acted modeled for several years here in new york and then um they did a little bit of advertising and then i went back to grad school for um social work so i'm now i'm uh about to graduate very excited and part of my journey also included doing some um psychedelic assisted psychotherapy for myself to kind of come out of to deal with some depression and work through some sexual trauma I had. And um, that also included doing some kink and BDSM related healing work. So I'm at the point now in my life where I'm bringing all of my passions and past life experiences together to create a future that I mean, I think and talk about sex and drugs all the time. So how can I use those for healing tools for myself and for other people? That is so incredible. I actually didn't, maybe you told me this. I didn't know that you used to be Mormon. Oh, yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> That's incredible, the journey. Wow. Yeah, thank wow. you. Wow. Yeah, I, I have a few Mormon friends, and, like, yeah. let me tell you, I mean, yeah, like, it's just, I mean, living in New York, you encounter so many different yeah. people, and we're such a melting pot yeah. or mixed salad, as some may say, mm-hmm. of, of different experiences. Yeah. And so that journey is, is an intense one. Yeah. Is an intense one. Some, like, religion in general is wild because we depending on how literal you interpret the Bible or where you grew up, how you grew up. Um, A lot of my work is also around sex education. Mm -hmm. And because it's not mandated on a national level, it's on a state-by-state basis. And 
some states that are very conservative and have a really high religious population, like a, a dense population of religious folks like Christians, for example, if it's a very Christian conservative state, the likelihood of their sex education being inclusive, comprehend comprehensive, and or even talking about things like consent, absolutely not. So growing up Mormon in Utah, my sex education was very poor and uh, it influenced how a lot of my early experiences. It influenced how I engaged with relationships, what I thought a relationship was and the trajectory of it. So I've spent most of my 20s and early 30s completely dismantling that for myself. What is what what drew you to do drug therapy? Um, I mean, I love sex, drugs and rock and roll per, yes. on a personal level. Yes, I do. <laughs> but what led you to say, OK, this could actually be therapeutic in the right mm -hmm. setting for me personally? Yeah. Um, during, uh, during COVID, I, growing up, um, I was very adamant in my rebellion towards religion and community and all of those things. And, um, so I've dabbled in and out of recreational drug use for a long time. During COVID, I, um, got COVID, had to isolate for a long time and my mental health completely crashed. And so I was exploring alternative methods because I've been in therapy, um, like psychodynamic psychoanalytic therapy for 20 years, but talk therapy can only get you so far. And so I was looking for alternative methods and I ended up doing, um, so I was microdosing a lot and kind of led myself through a preparation and integration process. And I did a lot of research on how to create a set and setting for myself. What are my intentions? And I started through doing microdosing with psilocybin mushrooms and, um, and then doing some like bigger trips on my own because I had done, I'd had really beautiful transformative experiences on psychedelics before, but I didn't really know what to do with that afterward. Mm -hmm. So I did the research for myself before I embarked on those experiences for myself. Um, and now I'm in the process of doing that and getting further training to do that for other people. Right. Yeah. And it's so interesting. You brought up, you know, um, this, this, this idea that we all do have our own personal experiences mm -hmm. with different types of drugs and different experiences, yeah. but it takes that intentionality yeah. of saying, okay, you know what, actually talk therapy can only go so far. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been in talk therapy for seven years now yeah. and God bless. Like I, I love it. Um, but I also am considering, you know, moving forward into something else that can help be a more transformative experience. Yeah. And as we know, you know, these ceremonies around mushrooms and psychedelics and things like that mm -hmm. have been used for eons. Yeah. Um, it's, it's ancient, it's ancient medicine. Yeah. Um, but it's also this, this intention that yeah. has to go alongside with it. And so that's amazing. Now, could you tell us more about the different types of drugs that are used for drug therapy that yeah. you are navigating? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's some classic psychedelics like mushrooms, um, things like that. Some of the things that you mentioned, but used culturally, um, for in different indigenous communities or for religious purposes, things like that. Um, like ayahuasca DMT, where when you get it from the toad properly. Um, but then <laughs> now, uh, like MDMA was developed in a lab in the early 1900s. And so those like, there's the 
classic psychedelics that come from the earth and things like that and then an ayahuasca but then you have these um this different category of compound um mdma ketamine lsd that are developed in a lab and so right. they all have these different effects if you will which is something that i in my research and in my um hopefully like moving forward research we'll look at because i was um just about to finish grad school and i spent a full semester doing research on psychedelics and ptsd and trauma and it's really interesting because certain compounds provide different reactions more some are more dissociative and some are more associative and the reason that it can be so transformative is because um if it is dissociative, then you can take an ex a traumatic experience and where in talk therapy, you are in it, you're feeling it, you're can sometimes be, you know, like taken back and like in a PTSD episode, experiencing it in a different way. But then if you're doing psychedelics, it has this effect where it can kind of depersonalize it and you can hold it outside of yourself and you can give yourself grace and compassion and, um, do some of that deeper healing work that isn't always available to you in a non-altered mindset. Because what happens is when you take a psychedelic, one of my favorite, favorite ways to explain psychedelic therapy um, was described to me by Mary Cosimano, who is one of the, uh, she's led the most above, most above ground psychedelic assisted psychotherapy research sessions. She's at John Hopkins um, Research Center, and she describes it as imagine you're on a stage with your daily life and the curtain is open three feet in front of you and then you take a psychedelic and the curtain not only opens but it opens all around you and it unlocks the parts of our brain it takes you back to a childlike state before we had community and culture and society create all of these rules and boundaries and, and norms um but it unlocks it for us and it allows us to see things in a more free, joyous, playful way. And then when your experience is over, the curtain shuts back down, but it shuts down to maybe like six feet instead of three feet. Mm. And during that time period, that's the that's a really prime time for integration where you can rewire some of those experiences or um, it's really amazing for habit forming, habit building. That's why, um, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy is so amazing for things like addiction because you can break habits and you can create new ones or break thought patterns and create new ones. And so it hopefully in the future, I would love to see specific compounds being used for specific things because right now in New York, you can do um, ketamine assisted psychotherapy. There are ketamine clinics where you can go um, and have a session but you can't do that with psilocybin you can't do that with mdma but but what if mdma would be better for someone's trauma or someone's experience or someone's specific issue that they're coming in for and so hopefully in the future that will be something that you know you like walk into a clinic and you're like this is my problem and they say this is the best compound for you it's like an ssri or like an antidepressant anything like that so i hope that's where the future will take us <laughs> we'll see no, I, we've all seen the ketamine therapy advertisements on our Instagram. Instagram, leave me alone. Stop. Stop coming for me. Yo, um, 
And it's but it's wild though because it's so expensive and it's, yes. it makes it so unaccessible to the true community, like the people that. I mean, no one's trauma is more or less than the other, but communities and people who could really, really benefit from it. I think I saw one treatment that was like twenty five hundred dollars, and I was like, who? Who's paying that? Yeah. Who can afford to pay that? Yeah. So hopefully we'll also see more affordable options. Or even um, I was attending a conference last fall called Horizons where someone, a researcher from, from Columbia was talking about hopefully insurance companies will someday, um, someday soon be helping provide that care. Now, I have personally tried hallucinogens. Yes. Um, and recreationally and intentionally in different yeah. settings. And so what would you say for those who are listening of like, well, I've had the craziest ketamine trip last week at the Brooklyn Mirage and it was mm -hmm. amazing and it was transformative. What's the difference between that and the work that you do? Mm -hmm. um, time, space, quantity, mm -hmm. yeah. um, all those things. Yeah. Um, I mean, even that experience at the Brooklyn Mirage can be just as transformative and healing um, being in community and dancing, use, moving your body, oh, huge. Um, it's, it, it, it is that time frame between the like six and three feet when like afterward. So you can go and have a really beautiful healing experience, but then how do you use that time afterward or even the time before? Uh, oftentimes it's called the set and setting. And so that's why when people are talking about going and doing mushrooms in the forest, because it's such a different experience than doing it if you're walking around New York City. Um, so that's your setting. You want to make sure it's intentional. What is the soundtrack to your experience? What um, kind of clothes are you wrapping your skin in? Sometimes it's really amazing to like make sure you have something very comforting and familiar. And then um, your set. What is your intention? And I I talk about set and setting in preparation for someone's experience and then afterward to the, the um, set and or your intentions are like the seeds and then you have your experience and then after you have the seeds the integration work is usually the talk therapy and the deliberate actions and thought process thought changes that you're making in the aftermath of it so it's how you water the garden how you water the seeds and that will be the the, the garden of the forest that you grow after to to wander through um, to like enhance your life and make these changes. And so how it affects it, it's like, I because I can't legally offer someone drugs um, right now. So usually how I work with it is people will have their own compounds and I can help them do the preparation work. Um, it's a lot of intention setting. It's a lot of talking through possible like what is our what is our game plan if something starts to not feel right who's who's sitting with you during it because it's usually you want to have someone that you love and trust sitting with you if it's not me and then um there's some really amazing harm reduction resources like fireside project is a resource that is an app and a hotline that you can call if you're having a bad trip whether recreationally or um, in the middle of a session, um, it's a, it's a really amazing, uh, resource to have and other harm reduction resources, like, you know, like test your drugs and have a sitter and do your homework. If, if, if you're doing psychedelics recreationally and you're 
anticipating or you're going through something big in your life, like be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's a lot of the things I do. A lot of like journal entries, a lot of self-care, making sure that you're um, something, If, uh, for example, so I have clients that have that go away to go to big ceremonies, whether it's psilocybin or ayahuasca, we do a preparation, but they usually have to be on a specific diet beforehand. Are you sleeping? Are you eating well? How are you treating your body? Are you drinking a lot? Or what is your water intake? Like your vessel, like if your physical body is not prepared, then your mental and emotional state won't be at the peak to have those transformative opportunities. Yeah, you're really destigmatizing and demystifying this conversation, right? Like, this is huge. I think that building empathy around drug use is really, really important. Um, Because a lot of people do drugs, Mm -hmm. um, whether it be recreational, whether it be intentional, whether it be for transformative reasons. And I I love that you are bringing just these very valid, real, real life conversations to it. And I know it's like, we live in New York, but it's not even about New York. It's about everywhere in the country. Everyone's doing um, these hallucinogens or different types of drugs in that way. Um, And And to connect with with each other too. Like we do MDMA when we go out dancing Mm -hmm. to like a, but that's a community experience. And Mm -hmm. that's, uh, there's another researcher, her name is Gold Dolan. And she was talking about like couple therapy or group therapy and doing that in a group setting. And like, how beautiful that is to heal as community because especially in america we're so um individualistic and like this whole every man for itself but what if we came together and we had these healing experiences it's transformative yeah 100 percent. and something i love also about your work you've done research papers around bdsm and pleasure um and i'd love to get more into these journeys of working through trauma or working through pleasure. Yeah. Um, and they can be one in the same mm. in many different settings. Yeah. Huge. I did, um, another big yeah, research, um, several months on BDSM and trauma and, uh, blanket statement. There's not a lot of research on it. Mm-hmm. So there's so much more to be done, uh, BDSM and kink. And so how kind of what I was looking at is whether specifically whether or not people who had experienced trauma or childhood trauma had a predisposition towards kink and or BDSM or a specific type of kink or BDSM. And um, the answer is no, not necessarily, because there's so many reasons why a person would identify as kinky or a person would be drawn to BDSM, which is, and um, I know you know, but for any listeners who are not aware, um, you can be kinky and participate in the BDSM community or you can just be kinky and not because BDSM is where the power play and the power dynamic comes in. And what does what does BDSM stand yeah. for? BDSM is an acronym for uh, bondage, dominance, sadomasochism, and um, masochism. Uh-huh. Or and then um, or dom sub like that's where we get our um, domination and submission in there. And so there is that power dynamic where there is um, one person who is more dominant and has p- power over the other person. And of course, consensual, um, with consent and, um, lots of conversations and things navigating safe, um, rack is an acronym often used rock, uh, risk aware consensual play. I'm going to have to get you the correct no, absolutely. breakdown for that one. hundred percent. Um, but the, yeah, because so many people can be drawn to those things for so many reasons. And one of those is to heal from trauma, because if you have the opportunity and capacity to 
in it's like reenacting a specific type of scene or scenario where someone you where you need to practice or you have the opportunity to set your boundary you have the opportunity to say your yeses to say your nos in a very specific container of safety with people that care about you and respect you and so it's about reclaiming your power it's about having um a say over that and within that realm is turning your pain into pleasure Mm -hmm. because the pleasure pain um dynamic is very real it's a chemical component it's a psychological component and then um how transformative that can be for someone but other people are drawn to kink and media and because it is sexy because it is fun because it takes you out of your element of your daily life um and then i mean i've been very clear with the world that like i was watching the second aladdin the return of jafar and i thought it was so sexy when jafar tied jasmine up and forced him to feed her and i was like that's it i'm done um I'm, yeah, I'm gay and kinky now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I was like eight years old, seven younger. Um, so it's also what we're exposed to, right? But within that is, um, I was like, she's wearing some sexy lingerie. She's feeding him. She's tied up. This is great. I mean, sexy too. It's kind of funny. Like I, yeah, like I love growing up pinky in the brain. Like that kind of just yeah. like very like, oh like just these power dynamics right and exactly. i've always enjoyed um seeing that uh like we we navigate that within our friendships within our relationships within our family dynamics I mean, within our work thing, dynamics yeah. it's the first yeah. thing that we know with our parents yeah it's, it's what we experience and it's what we see mm-hmm. so absolutely yeah um so i want to get into we i'm loving this conversation by the way Me it too. is so good it's just like i can talk to you all day about this stuff yeah, it's well, amazing to catch up <laughs> I know we need to catch up about a lot of things about a lot of things about love life lust um so if you haven't already done enough you're also an intimacy coordinator yes and this is a um dare I say new emerging field um that we're that we've seen Mm -hmm. um and this is a beautiful amazing thing that's happened could you go into like where did intimacy coordination stem from and what made you want to get into it and and make a change in that world um Intimacy coordination is fairly new. It kind of came out of the Me Too movement. So really started to take hold in about 2017. And out of the need for artists to have advocates on set. So my job as an intimacy coordinator is to be the liaison between actors, directors, and producers to ensure everyone's consent is being upheld, boundaries, um, making sure that there's responsible storytelling for sex and that if there is a queer story that we're telling a queer love story a queer sex experience that that is told accurately that um is there an anal scene where's the lube like making sure that those things are being upheld and is ever are everyone's pronouns being used correctly um the set uh the crew members like there is a there may be a really like traumatic sex scene happening is the crew comfortable with this is there someone who's not giving their consent to be a witness to what we're portraying, to the story that we're telling. So making sure that not only the actors and actresses, or the actors, period, and crew is safe, but that um, a responsible ethical storytelling is also being upheld. And so I came to it because uh, my background is in dance and performance and acting and modeling. And um, now my life in mental health and advocate work for... Um, 
sex relationships and because I primarily treat the queer population that's what the queer kinky open non-monogamous population that's where my I, I identify and so upholding those folks and those experiences is important to me so coming into intimacy coordination is kind of like my perfect dream of being in entertainment and being able to choreograph sex scenes and make sure that everyone is good about it and also again going back to what i touched on earlier sex education so many people learn about sex through entertainment and media and so how can i kind of infiltrate that from the inside and make sure that we're telling those true true stories of sex and relationships a hundred percent we need that so much like we we absorb so much yeah from from everything that we um, watch on television and that we're streaming now, everything is just on the snap of you know snap yeah. of our finger. We can see anything we want. Music videos. Like, yeah. How are how is everyone on set treating each other? How are they experiencing intimacy? And this is like a different level of kind of sex tech because yeah. it's kind of techie, right? Oh my God. The positioning, um, you know, how is it written into the script? Like, yeah. how is it portrayed? Like, it's yeah. very technical how these scenes are portrayed because it's not necessarily real life. It's an, right. it's an acting. It's a portrayal of something. Exactly. But we want it to resemble real life as best yeah. that we can so that it can be harm reduction. I, I love that you bring up so much about harm reduction. Yeah. Um, you are harm reduction personified, okay? Like, <laughs> trying. <laughs> yes, you are. And, you know, harm reduction for those who are listening I, I personally and i've said this before i'll say it again put it on my gravestone there's no such thing as a safe space no. all we can do is create safer spaces yeah. by implementing harm reduction tactics yes. i think the queer community is pretty t tuned into that um oh. conversation um kink bdsm is pretty tuned into that yeah. conversation that trauma happens yeah um, and whenever I have conversations um for this podcast or for anything i i always guarantee hey like I don't know if it's, you're not, something right. might come up. Yeah. And this is why I always have a preface conversation going, yeah. here's what happens. If something does come up, take a breath, yeah. grab some water. You know, we have a, you can take a little walk or like yeah. I, but what I don't say is it drives me crazy. It's my biggest pet peeve is when I go into spaces, it's obviously very not queer or yeah. women centered when they go, this is a safe space. Yeah. And I'm like, that just does not give you the mindset and the liberty to feel right. harm things that could be harmful that yeah. come up or, or yeah. difficult, you know, emotions yeah. um, that could come up. So we, I wanted to dive a bit more into drugs, yeah. drugs, because I love conversation on drugs. And I think there's a reason why we do drugs. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to go into what is like the current state of what drugs you can and can't work with. Yeah. Um, I know we kind of mentioned that you can work with ketamine. Mm -hmm. You can't work with MDMA or mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Like what is, what does that look like? And how do you feel yeah. about that? Um, I want to touch really quickly on what you said about safe spaces. I yes. love that you said that. Um, something that in some of the advocacy groups um, and some of my mentors have spoken a lot about that. And we cannot, we cannot ever say that we have a safe, we are a safe space for someone. Mm -hmm. You have no idea. Even what my image to someone can bring up in someone else. Without me even saying or doing anything, mm -hmm. um, my presence could just be activating to someone. So what we I've been in communities and I've been in spaces where they say we're trying to create a brave space mm. or a courageous space or something to those lines, but like saying something is safe is not. So I appreciate you saying that. Also rack risk aware, consensual kink. I knew it would come <laughs> and drugs. Drugs. Um, <laughs> I love, um, 
So it's super interesting. The conversation around psychedelics is happening so quickly and it's on, again, on a state by state basis, similar to sex education. So, um, in New York state, marijuana was recently decriminalized and, um, great, amazing. Psilocybin's interesting. You can buy the spores, but you cannot grow them legally is what I most recently read, uh, updated. Um, but you can't go to a clinic and they will not give you a, a psilocybin for a trip. It's only in research facilities right now. Um, you can do ketamine, but, and that's usually through a, um, IV, but again, right now it's super expensive and you can't go in for a one-off dose. It's usually a package deal. And, um, MDMA is quickly coming. So MAPS is the um, main organization that kind of leads all of the psychedelic assisted or the tests around that. So right now there's countless um, research trials around depression, anxiety, PTSD, um, things around eating disorders, addiction. So those things are happening in different trial settings. And if you are interested, you can go to the website and see if you're uh, eligible to be part of a trial. Cause that's a really feasible way for some people to get treatment. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is on a state by state basis. So ketamine is legal to do right now, but MDMA, ketamine, uh, MDMA, LSD, DMT, psilocybin are not legal. So you're usually getting them from hopefully trusted sources. Um, test your drugs, test your drugs. And make sure that you're communicating with your dealers. I think that working with dealers is huge to talk about harm reduction. If you're buying them, ask them if they test it and what their source is. And be part of community. There's um, psych Brooklyn Psychedelic Society is a really great resource. They have trip tales and you can get together with a community of people and get support. Listen to other people's experiences. They do you know, shamanic breath work. They have a ketamine tennis event coming up. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm very excited. This is the most out. Brooklyn shit I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> Let me tell you right now, I'm not surprised for a moment. No, no, ketamine no. tennis, absolutely, no. absolutely. No, uh, there's, and there's several other, um, I, I'm speaking about Brooklyn and New York City specifically because that's where we are, but um, so many different organizations and support groups and um, folks who are really trying to bring these opportunities and these compounds to more people who can access them, who need them. Because if you can, you can buy ketamine off the street, you can, you can buy all of these drugs off the street, but A, you want to make sure it's safe. B, do you have the resources to ensure you're doing it in a way that is going to give you the maximum impact or like what you're, you know, the, you can go into it with that, whatever intention you want, but it's the medicine will do the work. Mm -hmm. The medicine will unlock what it needs to but it's what you do with it. I think, yeah, I, I'm, I think not maybe the new generation, but just our world right now is becoming so, it's, it's so less taboo yeah. to talk about these impacts of the drugs. It's so less taboo to say, you know what? I took MDMA to party and have fun with my friends and seek pleasure. Yeah. Or, you know what? I was having a really difficult night. I took ketamine so that I could, um, 
take myself out of out of that pain for a moment and look at it objectively. Yeah. There's so many different reasons um, why people will do drugs. We're talking about different kinds of drugs, like yeah. hallucinogens, of course, right now. Um, and I think they can be incredibly powerful for mm-hmm. self-discovery, um, and especially around sexuality. So, um, you know, so let's end on the note of kind of talking more around sexual awakening, um, whether it be pleasure, whether it be trauma, working through that using um, hallucinogens. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what have you seen um, or experienced that has been really transformative around drug use um, and sexuality? Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought up by saying the word pleasure in itself is an act of advocacy. Hell yeah. (laughs) Um, Because when we look at capitalism and colonialism and who is in power and the dissemination of information, that is the gate. Those are the gatekeepers to who gets to know what. And so much about that is our bodies and our pleasure and our bodies and what we can do with it. Again, back to sex education, there's less than a quarter. I think it's like the last time I looked, 18 states require it to be medically accurate. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about engaging with our own bodies and other bodies, we're not even talking about it being medically accurate, first of all, yet alone from a pleasure-based perspective, because we're talking about most of the time, it's abstinence-based, heteronormative, and it's, it's so damaging because it's not inclusive, comprehensive, and so many identities are being erased in the process. And so when we're talking about drug use and the good that can come of it, the 1960s, 70s was full of this like revolutionary time of free love and people engaging with these compounds and each other and having a new perspective on our bodies, relationships, drugs, and the possibilities of freedom. But then again, people in power come down and start to criminalize things and we criminalize things in people. Um, a lot of my research this semester was on very wordy um my thesis was on the ascent of christian fundamentalists and how they impact policy making and specifically around sex education and so it looked uh, one section of the paper was looking at the the victories of the queer community and now the reaction of the far right as we see in um, a lot of conservative states and the as of uh, May 8th, there was 474 anti-LGBTQ bills proposed in 2023 alone. 200, over 200 of those are specifically targeting schools and sex education and making it a place of fear and danger for kids to be queer at school because if their parents don't know, the teacher legally has to out them. Or if a doctor provides gender-affirming care to... Um, a tra- to trans youth, then they can be convicted of a felony. And so, like, again, it's the people in power who are telling us what we can do, can't even know about our bodies, because if we're not being taught about inclusive sex ed, then we're not even aware that my experience is valid or being seen. And so then we talk about pleasure and who gets to say what my pleasure is, because if I don't even, if I'm not getting this education at home through my church or through school, then how am I supposed to know how to engage with my body in a pleasure-based way? Because if I'm, if I accidentally, the first time I masturbated, I was in dance class, I was doing the splits and I was like, oh, this is fun. I was very flexible as a teenager, but I didn't know that I was 
masturbating um, because my church told me that that was a sin. And so then God forbid, I knew what was happening in my body until I was like in my twenties. Mm -hmm. And so that that is a sexual trauma to be realizing that like, oh my God, I was like in sin. And then healing from that through psychedelic work can be my relationship to my body. And I've seen that, I've seen it in couple work. Um, doing, um, like I've worked with a couple who did ayahuasca and a lot of their intention going in was for further connection. And it ended up not being the outcome necessarily because they had very individual experiences where um, things about, you know, gender, like one of them was like really exploring their and becoming comfortable with the their gender that is on the spectrum and like their masculine and feminine feminine energy and how that impacts how they view themselves and how sex sexual they feel. And it's just super fascinating because the more that we can be open and curious about our experiences and other people's experiences, then the like we have no idea what else is available to us. And deconstructing binaries, the entire like our entire country and world really is like, yes, no right wrong black white like everything is so binary but my my sexuality exists so far my relationships all vary my i'm i'm very like stable in my gender but like my anxiety levels on the spectrum and so okay yeah. let me tell you <laughs> exactly and so like how can we be curious about all of the other shades and textures and colors and um psychedelics open that up to you 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 don't even like Sometimes it's how it feels in our body or sometimes it's what we see. Sometimes it's when we close our eyes and what that unlocks. Sometimes it's the memories that it unlocks for us. And you're like, oh, this is why I behave this way. Oh, this is the relationship that set the stage for all of these other relationships. And it can be just such a healing experience so that we can reclaim our power over our pleasure. Drugs. Period. <laughs> yes. Period. Yeah. Well, goddamn. Okay. So I love to um um I'd love to end love to ask you, last question. Yes. Uh what do you believe the future of sex technology will be? Oof. I I think there's so many possibilities, but I would really love to see how we can continue to utilize technology in a way to Destigmatize, normalize, spread education. I'm I'm really big on the sex education kick, but like, how can we get more information to communities that need it most? Especially, part everyone in the LGBTQIA plus community. How can we create safer spaces? Um, I, you mentioned that so much of my work as an IC is creating responsible storytelling um, through TV and film, and so I think that um, accessibility to how we engage with media, porn, how we, I mean, God, I could go on forever about the social media laws and restrictions and mm -hmm. um, all of that. But even because people who are trying to do this work and share, I mean, you're trying to sh give a platform, but how do you do that with all of these restrictions placed on you? So I, I hope that it's part of, I hope to see more of that, to see more avenues of um, sharing information that if we can destigmatize it because it's truly about like everyone that has a body, everyone experiences these things. How can we 
create safer spaces to share this information. That's what I hope. Of course. And you're doing the work. We're both doing the work. I'm so grateful to have you here. Well, Shelby, tell us how we can find you online and how can we support you? Uh, my Instagram is the Shelby Terrell. Um, and you can hit me up there. I love to do, I do sex science and psychedelics every Sunday where I share updates or information, um, usually kink related, um, non-monogamy related. I do Q and A's and, um, you can hit me up there. I see patients. I see couples. I see groups of people who are in non-traditional relationship styles. So you can hit me up there. And if you're curious about psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, um, yeah, you can shoot me a DM and I'm happy to, happy to help. Period. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for having Thank you. For you. Having me. Yes. Okay. Cheers. You've been listening to Thought Leader Podcast, hosted by me, SX Noir. Please be sure to rate, review, and share with a fellow thought leader. For more details about our guests and their work, check out our links in the description. For updates, sign up for the newsletter on my Substack and follow at sx.noir on social media. This episode's recorded by Pedro Martin and edited by Ider Armez. As always, be thoughtful.